Grace, mercy, and peace be with you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Alleluia. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. But it may not seem that way, especially this particular Easter season. In fact, one would be forgiven for thinking that perhaps Easter continues to be canceled as we go through these weeks and weeks of quarantine. Virtual Easter egg hunts? I never would have imagined such, but yet there were people figuring out how to do it last Sunday. No big family dinners. No Easter breakfast for the church. This seems like quite a trial that all of us are having to go through together. The thing is, we've done this before. This is not new. It's just been a while, and like any muscle that doesn't have a lot of training, we're a little bit out of practice. I want you to think about what it would have been like to celebrate Easter during the First World War. As sons were gone to battle, and if you were in Europe, as your town might be decimated, and you yourself might be a refugee. Imagine what Easter would have been like during the Great Depression as people moved around North America, especially from the Dust Bowl provinces and states, trying to find a place where they could make a living. Imagine Easter after the Second World War with empty chairs around every family table. And it's not like we've never had a pandemic before. Some of you have been reading about or hearing about on television and radio the Spanish flu which like possibly started in Kansas, and yet you can see how we end up misnaming things. During the Spanish flu, LCMS congregations were closed. And not just LCMS congregations, but all Christian churches in an attempt to stop the spread of that influenza virus. On Facebook uh, a couple of weeks ago, somebody posted a section from The Lutheran Witness, back in 1918. And I think it bears repeating right now as we reflect on the trial that our forefathers and foremothers went through 102 years ago. During the present epidemic, the boards of health of many cities have requested that congregations close schools, churches, and Sunday schools until the danger has passed. Not only our pastors, but also the ministers of other churches advise their people through the public press or otherwise, remember, no internet, that during the closing of the churches, they should read the scriptures at home and have family prayers. In those homes in which this has been accustomed before it was easily arranged, to others it was a novel experience. It is to be hoped that some who tasted the spiritual delight of family devotions will continue the practice in the future. The family that enjoys the reading of the scriptures and family prayers during the week is the one which is most ready to visit the house of God whenever the doors are thrown open. The more members of a congregation practice home or family devotion, the better will be the church attendance in that congregation. Thus ends the editorial in the Lutheran Witness back in 1918 during the Spanish flu pandemic. Now, the people back there could have looked at all of this as glass half empty or maybe even almost completely empty. And yet they chose instead to try and find the good in the midst of the trial in which they were going through. What good might the Lord bring out of this disaster in our spiritual communities? And for them, 
This was a great opportunity to reinstate in homes the opportunity for devotions, for people Monday through Saturday delving into the scriptures and praying together and not simply waiting until Sunday morning for that to happen. We might well be asking the Lord the same thing. What have we been neglecting that the Lord is pointing us back to? Now, suppose we go back even further in time. Suppose we go back 2,000 years to those first weeks and months after the very first Easter. Suppose we were to go back to the disciples and lay all of our complaints before them. How can Christ be raised if all of these terrible things are still happening in the world? How can the tomb be empty when we are still filling graves? Where is Jesus when our economy? and even our physical health, is suffering. Personally, I think the disciples would have looked at us and said, really? Tell us something we don't know. None of this would have been a surprise to them. So I'd like to walk us through the account of Peter that we touch on in our reading from Acts for this morning. Because that reading only comes at the end of a whole series of events that were building up to this encounter with the Jewish leadership, and the words from Gamaliel. In Acts chapter 5, verse 12, it begins, Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Easter kept going. It didn't just end on that first Sunday. Yes, Jesus has now ascended to the right of the Father, but he says he continues to exercise authority on earth. And so through the apostles now, There's great joy that is coming to a tremendous number of people, people who have seen their loved ones succumb to sickness. But that's not where the story ends. The next verse goes on to say that the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. Despite all of the alleluias, Christ is risen, he is risen in deeds, alleluias, there were still a whole segment of people that did not like Easter coming and took the disciples and locked them up, put them on trial, if you will, saw them as a threat and a challenge and a problem. But during the night, An angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Back to joy again. No languishing in prison for the disciples. An angel comes, breaks them out, and immediately they go back to where they were before as if it is business as usual. In the midst of The beginning of this trial of persecution, the disciples will not let Easter be taken from them or the message of Easter disappear from the world. And so there they are in the temple, 
preaching about the one who is the way and the truth and the life. Now, when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison, and so they returned and reported, we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, look, the men you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the trial starts all over again. And this is the context of Acts, the context of the disciples' lives. There's a pattern that is reflected over and over and over again in this earliest history of the Christian church. Rejoicing, trial. Rejoicing, trial. Rejoicing and trial all the way through from beginning to end. And it's after this context that we finally get to our reading from Acts for today. And that is the gospel. The high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in this name. Yet here you fill Jerusalem with your teaching. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were not happy. They were enraged and wanted to kill them. When they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So there's the gospel, the good news, all in a couple of verses. It doesn't have to be a long exposition or explanation that we give our neighbors when they ask us for a reason for the hope that's in us. It can be as simple as saying, this man, Jesus of Nazareth, whom we nailed to a cross, God has made Savior of all people, and in him we have forgiveness of sins. I actually had a man write one of our outreach emails to me this week, and he simply wanted to ask or know, what is Christianity and why is it true? Now, I said, do you want the short answer or the long answer? So I'm going to assume that it's an email, so we'll give the short answer. And basically what I said was the Apostles' Creed. That God is creator of all things. He has sent his son Jesus to die for us. He rose again from the tomb. And the Holy Spirit now calls us all together in the name of Jesus. But even though Peter is preaching this gospel, it is met with opposition. And the opposition creates trials. And it will ever be thus. It cannot be otherwise according to God's word. And so when you and I look at all of the trials and tribulations and opposition that we find in our Christian life, all of the Good Fridays, Good Friday on Monday, 
Good Friday on Tuesday, Good Friday on Wednesday and Thursday, and even on Friday, Good Friday, we cannot help be reminded that after Friday came Easter. So that those Good Fridays on Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays might also become Easter Sundays on each and every one of those days. It's that way of thinking. It's that attitude towards all of this that enables Peter to write in his first epistle, as we just heard, in this Easter hope, you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We pass through trials as Easter people. That's the message of the second Sunday after Easter. This second Sunday after Easter, which is usually about Thomas. Thomas, quote, the doubter. Although we don't call Peter the, quote, betrayer. And we don't call James and John the, quote, self-aggrandizers. Somehow Thomas gets loaded up with this one mistake that he makes that drags and follows him the rest of his time. Thomas, you see, only had eyes for the death of Jesus. These things did Thomas count as real. The warmth of blood, the chill of steel, the grain of wood, the heft of stone, and the last frail twitch of flesh and bone. When Thomas saw Jesus alive, then he believed that God could bring life out of death bring joy in the midst of trials, bring Easter Sunday in the middle of Good Friday. The question for all of us this morning is, who are we? Is that going to be us? That when the trials and tribulations come, we say, woe is me. Where is God in the midst of all this? Why is every day a Friday? Because when we do find ourselves saying those things, It's in those moments that our Lord comes through his word and says, stop disbelieving and believe. And by the power of the Spirit calls out of us the same words that Thomas uttered, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God, because what else is there to say in the midst of trials? And my Lord and my God, because what other utterance of joy could we possibly give to God? For, even though it doesn't always seem that way, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia.